We ask that your word would go forth and give us strength. Show us and give us the ability to discern what you're speaking to us today. For such a time as this, both as individuals and the corporate body of Messiah, we ask this in your holy name. In Yeshua's name, amen. So now if you'll turn with me to the book of James, it says in most of your translations. And this one I have both James and the original name Yaakov, which is Jacob. And we'll be starting today in chapter number three. We completed the last time when, when I shared on chapter number two. And it's amazing when you stop and think about this, that originally there were no chapters, numbers, there were no verses, that this was one complete book. And they read it as such. And so this book, the original out of chapter one, it says from Yaakov, that is James, a slave of God, and our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, to the 12 tribes in the diaspora, Shalom. And I like to kind of read off from that every once in a while because that's the opening of this letter. And so let us begin in chapter number three in verse number one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble... In what he says, he is a mature man who can bridle his whole body. If we put a bit into a horse's mouth to make it obey us, we can control its whole body as well. And think of a ship. Although it is huge and is driven by strong winds, yet the pilot can steer it wherever he wants it, with just a small rudder. So too, the tongue is a tiny part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how little fire sets a whole forest ablaze? Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in our body that it defies every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life. And it is set on by fire by Gehenna itself. For people have tamed and continue to tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. But the tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and an evil thing, full of death and dealing poison. With it, we bless Adonai, the Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, it isn't right for things to be this way. A spring does not send both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree yield olives, my brothers, or grapevine figs? Neither does salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise? 
and understanding. Let him demonstrate it by his good way of life, by actions done in humility that grows out of wisdom. But if you harbor in your heart bitter jealousy and self-ambition, don't boast and attack the truth with lies. This wisdom is not the kind that comes down from above. On the contrary, it is worldly, unscriptural, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disharmony and every foul practice. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceful, kind, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and peacemakers who sow seed in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That's a pretty powerful chapter, is it not? Taming of one's tongue. That is a life ongoing need in everyone's life. Have there been times when you had conversation with others where you've heard the still small voice of the Lord speak to your heart, but you're so engaged and you're so in emotionally involved with that discussion that you do not hear that still small voice that's speaking to you directly. It's now time to be silent. It's time to disengage. Because what you're about ready to say. Because know this, the spirit of the living God, the Ruach HaKodesh, he knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. And he's judging our attitude. And there are times when you and I are so engaged, so emotional over a certain area and the Spirit has allowed you to encounter this other individual. And that person could be either a non-believer or a believer. An illustration for us to consider. You can be from a political camp and you're engaged with someone from another political camp. And you can be so engaged in your debate over your opinion on some political issues. And the reason why the Spirit of the Living God has actually brought this person from that other political camp is you to bear witness to what first? Your political opinions? Or for you to engage them on the greatest decision, the greatest vote that they will ever cast in their lifetime? 
We are to present the good news to that individual. We're to allow them to see a transformed life and allow that individual to vote on an issue that is the greatest issue that they'll ever vote on, and that is this. Who is Yeshua Jesus? And the evidence of his life and what he's done for us Everyone has opinion on that, and they cast their vote. God has given all of us a free will. And there have been times when there have been believers, because years ago there were people in another political camp that had a greater amount of conservative believers I'm talking years ago. And they would engage in political conversation with others of another political camp, with other opinions that also had a large number of conservative Bible believers. And there was a time when they could engage with conversation with one another over their political differences but yet they could recognize that both were coming from a perspective of first sharing their faith with one another and whom they ultimately desire and who is presently sitting on the throne of their lives. Presidents, senators, congressmen and women come and go. But if Yeshua is not sitting on the throne of every individual's lives, that's what God has called us to do. He has not called us to build up a political camp of opinions. He has sent us to fulfill the Great Commission. We as Americans have fallen into the trap time and time again. And when you think about this upcoming election in 2024, and when you engage in debate with others from a different political opinion, and you're not there to proclaim and to reveal the transformation of God in your life, and it gets to the point where you just get so emotionally involved in your political opinion, over theirs, then you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. And Hasatan, he wants to bring in division. He's bringing division in the house of God right now over Israel and the Jewish people. See, he's very, very sly, Hasatan. He's very, very deceptive. And that's why I say this very, very boldly right now. If you cannot lift up our current president and vice president, his staff, all members of the Senate and the House, your governor, your local legislators, your mayor, and pray for their soul first, then I question whether the love of God dwells within you. 
And I question whether or not you're fooling God's will. See, words, they are weighty. And that's, there's, there's times when the Spirit of the living God says to you, it's a time to be silent. It's time to, to disengage. It's a time to allow the Spirit speak through us. We have to take control of our tongues. Why? Because one day we're going to have to give an account for every word that we've spoken. And it doesn't stop there. The Spirit of the living God who dwells within us from the moment we become born-again believers, He's in the process of sanctifying us. So He knows every thought, every action, every motiva motivation that we have on our hearts. On Friday, I happened to go to Walmart to get something. I was walking in the parking lot, and all of a sudden, I heard a woman's voice. I didn't recognize the woman's voice as my wife, but I turned around, looked around, and here was a lady. She pulled up right alongside me. I'm walking in the parking lot. There's people walking in front of me and beside me. She rolls down the window. She says, hey, Frank. I got a question for you. I said, okay, I recognized her. She's a lady that normally comes to, to Kohl's. That's where I work part-time. There are times when, when we engage in biblical discussion. And she said, well, I've been reading the Bible, and the Bible's been telling me that once the Lord comes back for his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah, that we're going to have to go before a judgment seat. And it's called the Bema judgment seat. And I said, that's, that's correct. And she said, every word, every thought, every action, our motivation, is all going to be judged, is it not? I said, absolutely. And so there are people stopping they're listening. And we're having this conversation. There are people now pulling up behind her and they're waiting. They roll down their window because they're wondering what's going on here. You know, all this craziness that's happening in the world. And so I said, well, I got to get in there. There's a crowd gathering here. And she said, good, I just need some confirmation from you because we had discussions. She's a woman that leads a Bible study where 300 women of the Brainerd Lakes area come and have Bible study. And so she just wanted a little bit of confirmation on that. I said, study the word of God as the Lord prepares you. She said, yeah, because that's a topic right now that we've been started to discuss what we're going to go and look at next. And that's the Bema seat, she said, of Jesus Christ. And I said, that's right. Every word. And I said, you know what's amazing? The Lord's been having me prepare this week uh, in the book of Yaakov. And it's talking about taming the tongue. 
how appropriate this was for you and I to have this conversation. But I got to go and we say goodbye and praise the Lord. So think about that. 300 godly women who are praying and interceding for the nation of Israel, who want to serve God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And these are women from various Christian denominations in the Brainerd Lakes area that meet in a congregation of 300 people that are there. And they've been doing this for the last 20 years. Praise God. Bless the Lord. So continuing here. Verse number one of chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers. What is a teacher? A teacher is a rabbi. All right. That word is interchangeable. My brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. And so with this, let's go ahead and take a look here as we compare 1 Timothy chapter 1. Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And if we go backwards here a little bit, we'll find 1 Timothy. Here recently I taught on this out of 1 Timothy. And this is what it says here. Here is a statement that you can trust. Anyone aspiring to be a congregational leader, remember I said before, a rabbi, a teacher, seeking a worthwhile work. A congregational leader must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, orderly, hospitable, and able to teach. He must not drink excessively or get into fists, into a fights. Rather, he must be kind and gentle. He must be a lover of money. He must be a lover of money. He must be a, a manage his own household well and have children who will be able to care for the God's messianic community. He must, be, must not be a new believer because he might become puffed up with pride and thus fall under the same judgment as did the adversary. Furthermore, he must be well regarded by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the adversary's trap. Going on now to Titus. And who wrote the letter to Timothy? It was the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul. Titus chapter 1 and beginning verse number 5. It goes on to say here, I recall your sincere trust, the same trust that your grandmother, oh, I'm in 2 Timothy, I apologize. Here we go on to Titus 1.5. The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might attend the matter still not in order and appoint congregational leaders in, every, in each city. Those were my instructions. A leader must be blameless, a husband of one wife without, with believing children who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an overseer, as someone entrusted with God's affairs, must be blameless. He must not be self-willed or quick-tempered. He must not drink excessively and get into fights or be greedy for dishonest gain. On the contrary, he must be a hospitable, devoted to good, sober-mindedness, 
uprightness, holiness, and self-control. He must hold firmly, hold firmly to the trustworthy message that agrees with the doctrine so that by his sound teaching, he may be able to exhort and encourage and also to refute those who speak against it. For there are many, especially from the circumcision faction, who are rebellious, who delude people's minds with their worthless and misleading talk. They must be silenced because they are upsetting the entire households by teaching what they have no business teaching and doing it for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of the Cretans' own prophets has said, Cretans are liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And it's true, for this reason you must be severe when you rebuke those who have followed this false teaching, so that they will come to a sound, to be sound in their trust, and no longer pay attention to the judistic myths or to the commands of the people who reject the truth to all who are themselves pure. Everything is pure, but those who are defiled and without trust, nothing is pure. Even their minds and consciousness have been defiled. They claim to know God, but their actions, they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient, and they approve themselves unfit to do anything good. Are those not also powerful words? But where did those words come from? God the Father, through his Son, by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and spoken to whom? Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, to give instruction to both Timothy and Titus, one a Jew, one a Gentile, who were called to be rabbis, teachers, and to anoint and to raise up other teachers, rabbis in the future. So continuing here, verse number one of chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more severely. Let's now look at Messianic Jews, which is Hebrews. We're not that far. We just go forward. And we're going to be looking at chapter 13 and verse 17. It's good to know what God's opinion on who should and should not be teachers and how we're to use our tongues according to God's word. It says here, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your lives as people who have to render an account. So make it a task of joy for them, not one of groaning for that is of no advantage to you. Did you catch that in there? They're going to have to give an account. Every word they speak, every doctrine they teach, 
They will not escape. If they have diverted in any shape or form what has been delivered to them from God the Father through Yeshua, through the Ruach HaKodesh, through the prophets of the Tanakh and the apostles of the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, if they divert and teach anything other than that, there's a weighty judgment that will be poured upon them at the Bema seat because they were to declare the word of God and who's going to be judging in that day but literally the word of God who is Yeshua, a person. See, it's based on relationship. And that's why we have to guard our tongue and listen to what the Spirit is speaking. Continuing on verse number one of chapter three, Yaakov. Greater judgment awaits those who teach because the tongue has power to influence many for good or for bad. Yaakov reminds teachers of the word that greater knowledge brings greater what? Responsibility. How do we know this? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6 speaks to us pertaining to what we're dealing with here today. You know, there are many men and women who preach and teach the word of God. But there's one book that they're very uncomfortable preaching and teaching from. You know what that book is? The book of Yaakov James. Because he pulls no punches. Just as his older brother... Yeshua pulled no punches. He showed compassion and mercy, but he spoke the truth. Yeshua spoke more about hell than any other subject because he's seen it. And it says in the scripture that all things were created by and through him. Nothing was made. So the eternal place of hell is a reality. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of him who has created it. For his adversary shall dwell eternally in the lake of fire and all those angels that were part of the rebellion. And every man and woman who reject God's precious gift, a personal relationship of Yeshua. That's why their vote on the issue of Yeshua, both his death and his resurrection, is the greatest decision that they'll ever make. But if we're polluting the waters, when the Lord has sent us there to proclaim the good news, it's okay to have a 
discussion on your political opinions. But if God has ordained you to proclaim the good news to that individual, and Satan is able to get, get into your emotions and your feelings and get you off the path that the Lord has ordained for you to do, then we become merely a puppet in Hasatan's hands. We have to take serious these days that we live, these moments. They're passing, they're fleeting. And everything I shared with you today, I'm going to be judged on, and I'm going to have to give a full account before God at the Bema seat, and you will be all there to witness it. Praise be to God. His holy refining fires are just and true. And the discipline of the Lord we should gladly receive and recognize that is the love of God towards us. When the Lord rebukes us, when the Lord chastises us, that's a loving act. Praise be unto God. So here we are in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 6. Bless the Lord. I'll back up to number 5. Whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. And whoever ensnares one of these little ones who trusts me, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the open sea. See, Yeshua looks at our lives. There are young people, impressionable, who are looking for mentors, both godly men and women, for them to emulate their own lives. And if we in any shape or form lead them astray, what does the Lord say? Praise be unto God. Let's continue now in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. However, the one who did what deserves a beating but didn't know will receive few lashes from him. Who has been given much. Much will be demanded from someone to whom people entrust much. They will ask still more. See, there's a heavy weight on those that the Lord places in, into authority. So when you think about these televangelists, who are out there and they own these multiple homes, these multiple jets, 
and they're making and building their kingdom by taking the word of God and putting pressure on God's sheep to sacrifice their time, their finances, and everything they have so that they can enrich these televangelists. Notice, the world sees these televangelists as this. They are manipulating and fleecing the flock to whom the Lord has asked them to lay down their lives for. They will not escape the Lord's judgment in these areas. So back to chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who can bridle his whole body. Remember that scripture that's coming up next? Jacob gives an illustration. He says this, is it not amazing we can put a bit into a horse's mouth and control that whole animal? I had a great lesson from my uncle. His name also was Frank. I went down to Nebraska to work on his small beef cattle ranch. I'd go there during the summers. My mom would put me on the bus, Greyhound bus. I'd ride the Greyhound bus. She'd boil me some eggs and I'd have a couple sandwiches along the way because we didn't have a whole lot of money. I got a couple bottles of water, had to make it last. And then my uncle, he'd pick me up at the bus stop. And I would be their servant for the whole summer. And he said, Frank, you're from the city. But I want to train you how to be a cowboy. And our first lesson, what you're going to do tomorrow, we're going to be up at 445. You have time to brush your teeth, have a little bit of breakfast. But before the sun comes up, our day has already started. And so what you're going to do then is that I'm going to take you out to the corral. And there's a horse that's broke. But I'm just going to put a bit in its mouth along with a harness. And you're going to learn how to ride that horse bareback without a saddle. I want you to learn how to move with this horse. I had never ridden a horse in my life. He said, you're going to learn how to, when the horse moves a certain way, you're going to learn how to move that certain way. Otherwise, Frank, you're going to be in a lot of pain. I'm going to open up that corral door, the gate, and the horse is going to have free reign throughout this pasture. And that horse is going to teach you 
how to be a cowboy. And so years later, when I first read the book of James Jacob, and I read that portion there, and I read about that bit, my mind just went right back to that day, that morning, when my uncle taught me the beginning of what it is to be a cowboy. And so in that verse there, in verse number two, it says, for we all stumble in in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who can bridle his whole body. So when I read that, I was thinking, well, they have a misprint here. The bit goes in the horse. I didn't see anyone walking around with a bit in their mouth and a bridle. But what does the scripture here give us that word picture? There are times when the spirit of the living God wants us to pull back on those reins when we're about to speak. Because it's the tongue that controls the whole body. So let's dig a little deeper. Those who use their words maturely demonstrate true maturity and self-control. And how do we know this? From Psalm 34.13, this is what it says. If you do, did you notice how that began? There's an if. There's a decision here to be made. If you do, that means you're in control. If you do, let's continue. If you keep your tongue from evil. We all know what evil is. Continuing. If you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceiving talk. What's deceiving talk? Oh, Rabbi Frank, it's just a little white lie. It's still a lie. Now let's go back to chapter 3 and verse number 3. If you put a bit into a horse's mouth to make it obey us, we control its whole body as well. Remember the verse prior? A mature man who can bridle his whole body is a mature man. Verse number four of chapter three. Think of a ship, although it is huge and is driven by strong winds, yet a pilot can steer it wherever he wants it, just with a small rudder. So to the tongue is a tiny part of the body, Yet it boasts great things. See how little fire sets whole forests ablaze? Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. Whose opinion is that? God's. That's his opinion. The tongue is so placed in the body that it defiles every part of it. See, there's potential. Lord, I give you my eyes 
so that whatever I see, and if it does not glorify you, I make a covenant with my eyes. You know Job did that? He said these words, I make a covenant with my eyes that I will not look at a young woman lingeringly to look after her so that lust and desire for that young woman could come and invade his heart. Because what is the eyes? The eyes are the window to our soul. Praise be to God. So let us continue here. Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in our body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life. And it is set on fire by Gehenna itself. So he made a covenant with his eyes, Job did. Have we done the same? Be careful, hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful what you do. And I know most of you even know that song. I just know bits and pieces of it. I never thought about it prior to this message coming together. But the Spirit of the living God gives you things from time to time. And so you may have made a covenant with God about your feet and your hands and your eyes. But have you made a covenant with God with your tongue? See, that's the part where Yaakov is dealing with right now. Because there were times when Yaakov spoke in jest towards his own brother, Yeshua. Which I'm sure that later he, re- he regretted. Because Yaakov did not see his brother as the promised Messiah. He really believed that his brother was kind of out of his mind. It wasn't until after Yeshua died and rose from the dead that Yaakov could no longer deny who his older brother truly was. Let's continue. And we'll end on this portion here. Yes, the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in our body that it defies every part of it, setting a place a whole of life. It is set on fire by Gehenna itself. If you were to open up your complete Jewish Bible, look up the word there, Gehenna. This is what you'd read there. Gehenna or Gehenna. Literally the valley of Hinnom, called the valley of the son of Hinnom. In the Tanakh, located south of the old city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where the city's rubbish, garbage was burned. Hence, because of the fires. Metaphorically, an illustration of what hell is. Because the fires never end there. 
So with this, we fully understand that we should judge our own tongues and be willing to listen to that still small voice of the Ruach when he says, be silent or to disengage. Least we walk into sin, which we will have to one day repent thereof. So our heart's desire should be the mastery over our own tongue. And to honestly, with all humility, admit to the Ruach that today I desire to make a covenant with God the Father through his son Yeshua by and through the equipping and the empowering and revelation with discernment to the Ruach HaKodesh the spirit of the living God who dwells within me. Otherwise, you'll do what I've done in the past. When I was a small child, I heard my father say a word. I repeated that word. And my mom heard that word. She saw the reaction on my face. I could not believe I said that word because I had been told the word that my dad says periodically was a curse word. And I was in a situation where my emotions got a hold of me and I pronounced that word. And my mom said to me, Frank, you know better. And I agreed with her. She took out a bar of dial soap. She said, come here. Went to the kitchen sink. Said, stand right next to me. She took that bar of dial soap and she made a good lather there. She said, now open up your mouth. She put that dial soap in my mouth. She said, I don't want to ever hear that word come from your lips again. And she washed my mouth out with soap. That's a good life lesson for all of us to hear. Praise be to God. Shabbat Shalom.